podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend. Welcome to the New Look Love Rugby League podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the latest talking points, bring you an exclusive interview and a few features along the way. I'm James Gordon. I'm joined for this first episode by Drew Derbyshire. We're going to knock around a few of the main talking points in Rugby League this week. Uh, And I suppose the biggest one, Drew, we'll get onto the Championship and Challenge Cup shortly, but the big talk in Super League at the moment has to be around Toulouse. Um, I think some people probably questioned... You know whether Toulouse's squad was strong enough as it as it was, but Toulouse Jonathan Ford is a a massive blow and and potentially Mark Carella as well. It doesn't sound particularly good about his future either. No, it's not good at all. And I'm I'm a big Jonathan Jonathan Ford fan, and I was looking forward to watching him in Super League. I, I thought I, I always thought for the last couple of years that he'd be a great player to have in Super League, and it's just a shame that on the eve of the season, just all this was happening a month before the season gets underway. The maiden Super League season for Toulouse, it's just, it, I just think it's a, a crying shame for for a club to be going through such measure, measures a couple of weeks before the start of the season, especially when the the two of the best players as well. Yeah, I suppose the the disappointing thing for both of those players, and you know, hopefully Corella is turned around and is part of the squad. But those are two players that are pretty long serving. They've not only played with them in the Championship, but played with them. In, in the elite league in France as well. So they're sort of two of the players that they would have liked to, to have brought to Super League. For those that, that aren't aware, we certainly in Ford's case, um, he didn't want to take the vaccine, um, the COVID vaccine, and, and requirements in France now mean that all players, fans, have to be double vaccinated to enter stadium or leisure facilities, which effectively means that Ford can't play in France. Um, Carella, we're still... We're still waiting to see what, how it pans out with that. It'd be interesting to see whether Ford winds up somewhere else. It, it seems pretty unlikely that would happen. He seems pretty settled in France. Yeah, he does seem pretty settled in France. Will, it, will he go back to Australia? I know he's been in France for, for over 10 years now. Um, so he probably calls France home rather than Australia home uh, these days. So it will be interesting to see what happens. I do think he's a Super League standard player, so I think give it a couple of months and if if uh, clubs are suffering with injuries uh, and whatnot in England, then who knows, someone might take a punt on him. I mean, having said that though, he's only played three top grade games in his career. I think he played for Sydney Roosters at the start of his career. He's never played in Super League, of course, and other than them three games in the NRL, he hasn't played at that very highest level. Um, and it will be a shame if he gets the end of his career without, without having done that. Whether... The Corella situation again, you know, you, the the rules around COVID are changing that frequently at the moment. You do wonder what the situation might be in two, three months' time. You know, could we see a dramatic U-turn where if the if the relax if the rules are relaxed in France, that that Ford actually comes back and plays for Toulouse? Who knows? You know, uh, that'd be a, a pretty a pretty unusual situation. Yeah, it would. Uh, but like you said, the, the rules of COVID are changing that much these days. I know. Uh, in England, obviously, we've had the the news come through that the NHS staff won't have to be double vaccinated now, and it's at their own choice. So, it is an ever changing landscape in in the COVID world and the the world that we're used to these days. So, I think it it will kind of be fitting uh, if Ford could play for to losing Super League in the future, but uh, who knows what will happen there. Uh, the Championship got underway at the weekend and it was the first game I was in London as London Broncos played their first game at Plough Lane, home of AFC Wimbledon. Wonderful uh, new stadium. It, it's a bit of a shame for the Broncos that they are where they are in terms of they've gone part-time, they're in the Championship because that ground, if they were in Super League, you know, I, I said to someone there, you know, Friday night there would be would be pretty special. Um, the ground's quite well surrounded by like high-rise um, apartments and stuff like that. Um, two thousand on 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 the gate, which was a you know relatively okay start for for London. They struggled in the game itself and were were quite easily beaten by by Widness. But quite important for London to to get some roots down now and and hopefully stick at Wimbledon for a while. This is what we need because 
how many times have we heard that London are changing home and they want to build a fan base at the new home and then a couple of years later they'll go to somewhere else um, I was a big fan of Ealing as a sports grain I thought it was good but obviously it doesn't, re it doesn't meet requirements as well uh, so they have to move Wimbledon's the perfect home for, for them I think it's, it's a, a great ground it's got a nice time with the football club hopefully some of the Wimbledon football club fans will check out a, a Broncos game sooner or later um, so if they can, could stay at Wimbledon for, for well, they've got to stay there forever, for, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, for, for the foreseeable. Um, if they can stay there, then it's a good stepping stone to get into where you want, where you want to be. Obviously, commentating on the match, we was looking at previous meetings between London and Witness. The last three times Witness have played London Broncos away. They've all been at three different venues. Now that would have been four had the game last season not been called off for COVID. So Witness played at Twickenham Stoop, they played at the Hive in Barnet, they would have played at Ealing last season if it hadn't been called off, and then this season it's at Wimbledon, and that's probably systematic of the, the Broncos' issues. It was a decent win for Widnes, I think, you know, they probably played London at the right time, London have certainly got a lot of work to do to, to get up to speed. I think elsewhere, results probably went the way you could expect, it was a good win for Adrian Lamb on his Lee debut, Whitehaven had 10 men at one point, I believe, they had three men simbing towards the end of the first half, and what do you make of Lee? Obviously, there's been a lot of pre-season talk about Featherstone, and Lee seems to have recruited pretty late. Yeah, well, Lee have only got a 21-man squad. Uh, I believe I know the dual registration with Saints, so they might get two or three plays a week uh, off the Super League Champions, which, which isn't, isn't too bad. But I was listening to Adrian Lamb's post-match comments uh, against Whitehaven, and he was very proud of his players because the majority of that squad haven't been together uh, for for uh, the entire pre-season schedule, so he was quite proud with how it paid off. Obviously, there's a lot of talent in the league squad. There's no doubt in that. There's players who have played a lot of games in the NRL. Many McDonald to, uh, and Caleb Akins, to name a few. Uh, there's a lot of Super League uh, standard players as well. So they have re recruited impressively. But what I'm thinking, it, well, what I was thinking before they played uh, Whitehaven was. Would they would they gel as a team? It, there's no there's no good having individual superstars. Would they gel as a team? And <laughs> and they certainly they certainly look as though they've they've gelled because putting fifty points against Whitehaven, Whitehaven did okay uh, in the championship last year. So they've lost key players though, haven't they? They, well, they, they went on a mega run, didn't they? Whitehaven to get into the playoffs, but lost a couple of the key players. It'd be interesting to see how yeah. how they sort of. But but I think out. I think a lot of people are. A tipping Featherstone to, to gain promotion, aren't they? Um, and I think Lee have kind of been squashed out of that conversation a little bit. I think it, I think because Fev have signed the likes of Joey Lee Lua, Jesse Senny Lefeo, uh, Riley Jacks, Brian McDermott, of course. Yeah, Riley Jacks from the NRL, Brian McDermott. What, what, how many has he won with Leeds? Was it four with four Super League titles with Leeds, I think? Um, so a lot, a lot of people are talking about Featherstone right now, and I think Lee have slightly gone under the radar in the last couple of weeks. and and uh, I think, to, to be honest, I don't think Lee will be complaining about that too much. We should point out we're recording this just prior to Featherstone's game against York on Monday Night Rugby League on Premier Sports. Um, that's because um, we're in Leeds, actually, for Leeds' media day um, on Tuesday when we would normally we would normally record. Um, other results elsewhere probably went uh, probably the way the bookies expected. Bradford had an easy win at Dewsbury. Newly promoted Barrow won at Sheffield, come from behind. Newcastle won away at newly promoted Workington. But I suppose the the big result of the weekend was Batley, who came from behind to, to beat Halifax. Now, Batley had an extraordinary season last season where they were pretty much comfortable top four for virtually the whole season. Um, and that, that early win over a Halifax team, who I fancy, I, I should say, for them to, to beat them on the very first weekend just goes to show that they're not just going to be a one-season wonder there at Batley. Oh, definitely, they, and and they've not they've not lost many. They've not gained many uh, players over the offseason. So Craig Lingard's kept the, the the bulk of his squad. I think there's only Elliot Hall who who'd left the club and gone to to Bradford, of course. Um, but what a turnaround that was as well. They were sixteen 0 down against Halifax, and, and they've turned they were it around. Play, they were playing up the hill, though, weren't they? First <laughs> to be fair, when we were talking, Andy Wilson, who was at London with us, he 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 said to us at the end, he said, oh, they came from sixteen 0 down, and then he said they were up the hill. Yeah, well, we know why they were. We know how it worked now. But um, 
you know, use it to their advantage. But, but also on Halifax, I know, I know they didn't win, but they recruited heavily, haven't they, over the off-season. And, and I know nothing's been on paper, as we always say, when we're making our predictions at this time of year, but they, they look strong. Uh, I, I, and, I, and I think Simon Griggs, the coach, will be pretty disappointed with the way his side gave it away uh, against Batley. But I think we're in, in for an exciting season, if, you, if you're a Panthers fan. Yeah, I think, I mean, listen... Halifax certainly won't be the last team to lose at Batley this season. I, I think Halifax certainly my tip for the top three. I thought they could maybe shake things up with the top two, even Halifax if they get it right. Lee have started strongly there. See how Featherston get on against York. Um, elsewhere in the week, uh, over the weekend, it was the Challenge Cup second round. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five non-pro teams, if you want to call them that, who made it through. Royal Navy beat the Army. Hunslet Club Parkside, Rochdale, Mayfield and Siddle all beat fellow community sides. But the big result of the weekend was Casford Lock Lane, who beat Oldham 22-12. It's the first time Oldham have ever lost to uh, to amateur or community opposition. Um, the club issued a, a bit of an apology um, for, from Oldham after that. But to me, I, I think maybe, you know, should Rugby League look, look at maybe bridging the gap between League One and the amateur game? Because you do get the feeling that the top amateur teams could compete and beat League One teams on a on a fairly regular basis. And actually, Lot Lane beating Oldham probably on paper isn't as big of a shock as as, as you know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? As maybe it ought to be. I mean, it's not like you know Lot Lane aren't they're not rank amateurs. They're not terrible rugby players. They're you know they're probably a good rugby league team in their own right. It just so happens that Oldham are in a in a league that's deemed semi professional, and Lot Lane are in a league that's that's deemed amateur. Yeah, and uh, and I, I guess that a lot of a lot of people were shocked because obviously last season all of them were in the championship, so that's a, another division above. I know I know they got relegated and they're in League One now. But if you look at all them team on paper, they've got players like Martin Ridgeard, Dave Hewitt, obviously Stuart lose the coach, so uh, they've they've got a lot of experience in that side. So that's why it was a shock because you would expect any part time team to to beat. Uh, a non well, well, a community team uh, in essence. So, I think I think we should maybe praise Lock Lane a little bit more than than what the I, general media is doing because I think a lot of people are going with the the Oldham being shocked and Oldham being stunned in the, in the cup, which is obviously perfectly fine. That they're, they're the bigger club and stuff like that, but I think uh, we should applaud Lock Lane for their efforts as well because it looked like a cracker. Yeah, and you know, I think the nature of rugby league at the moment is there's probably lots of players. I, I seen a piece I think with Dion Cross uh, with Gary Carter actually where Dion Cross was saying Dion Cross now at Salford of course he was saying there was there was players playing for his amateur team who were better than him but they just hadn't been spotted and they hadn't had that chance and and you know players do get to a point where they prefer playing rugby with their mates rather than you know going and training and and having, you know especially in league 1 now the amount of travelling involved some player you know i remember there was a good player down at, at witness years ago a centre called Darren Woods and and he just preferred playing at that week because that's where his mates played and he probably could have played super league but and, and sometimes you get a bit of that and I do wonder whether you know we talk about lessening the number of pro sides but which is one argument in itself but I do think maybe more should be done to maybe try and bridge the gap between League One and National Conference League or whatever amateur league you want to call it a bit like in football where that pyramid works so well and players can move up and down it and you know it's it's up to the individual clubs what they decide I to do I think we're, we're slightly edging towards the the old age discussion of structure agents <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's my fault it's a structure conversation that we've always had in rugby league and and everyone knows my thoughts if you've ever listened to a rugby league podcast before it's uh, <laughs> I'd I'd love two division of sixteen and then make an expansion league as well um, and try to grow the game that way. But saying that, didn't that expect, is, didn't that expect is, to get into this in the first one yeah, of the season. That's so a good topic for you, a different podcast. You'll have probably heard, the the listeners will probably have heard the Challenge Cup draw by now by the time you're listening to this. So hopefully Lock Lane have got a, a decent tie of course the championship teams go in in the next round so they could have Witness away they could have Bradford away they could have Featherston you know Joey Leilua against uh, some of these amateur players that would be great I'm sure some amateur players would absolutely love that I mean that would be a great you know what a great occasion that would be a big NRL players come over and one of his first games for Featherston could be against uh, you know, an amateur club like Hunslet Club Parkside or Rochdale Mayfield or Siddle or, or the Royal Navy Um that's all we're going to knock around for for this week. But Drew has caught up with Tyrone McCarthy, uh, the Ireland international who retired at the end of last season 
we talked about his career, or Drew talked about his career with him, what he's up to now and what his hopes are for the future. Um, hope you enjoy it. Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com. Uh, loverugbyleague.com, the first episode of 2022 with the recently retired Tyrone McCarthy. Tyrone made more than 258 appearances during his career, as well as representing Ireland on the international stage as well. And he's still in a coaching capacity today. How are you doing, Ty? Are you well? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm also joined by my colleague, Josh McAllister, at Love Rugby League as well. So we'll get straight into it then, Tyrone. Uh, you started your career at, at hometown club Warrington. Just talk to us about that. It must have been a, a pretty special time for yourself. Yeah, obviously started my career at Warrington and uh, come through their system from schoolboys, scholarships, academy. Um, so yeah, it was pretty much... Dream come true. That's that's probably uh, my only goal when I was growing up was just to play play for my own town team and, and just play it. Well, World of at the time, but then obviously Alan Will Jones. What What are your favourite memories from your time at, at Warrington, Tyrone? Obviously, you, like, you were a pretty young lad then. Yeah, um, I think the, the standouts are probably the, the finals in terms of from a career perspective. But looking back now, after. A, you do a lot of that once you retire and reflection and but yeah, the kind of the good the, the formative years when when I come through the club um and the people and, and friends that I've made, they're the ones who have probably kept in touch with most. Um coming back to the club uh, in the coaching capacity and team, those young lads on on that journey that I was on nearly twenty years ago is it's kind of crazy, but um no, but it makes you appreciate how good of a time he had at, at that moment and how much had grown during the, that period and, and and the club kind of helped with that. Um, yeah, in terms of, from a career perspective, making my debut always stands out against Wigan away and, and then what followed in the, the couple of weeks after with the, the final. But I think 2012 was my best year for the club. Um, yeah, kind of mainstay within the team and, Unfortunately, the year after is just kind of probably a bit of me. I, I had to leave to kind of grow. Um, but yeah, always got great memories of, of playing for Warrington. Oh, you mentioned it. Sorry, Greg. Being a, a younger player at the time, Tyrone, did any any players sort of take you under the wing? Because obviously at the time, Warrington had quite the forward pack, didn't they? Um, I wouldn't say it took us under the wing, but I think when I look back at that team, it was a great camaraderie with all the all the players. Um, I'd say now that like, some of the closest, I'm really close with Gaz Carvel, who was one of the senior players at the time. And um, yeah, you kind of just align to different people. But there was a good core of us who had come through the system at the same time. Um, you had the likes of Coops, who's still playing, uh, Matty Blythe, Ben Harrison, Chris Riley, Kev Penny, Lee Mitchell. Uh, and we all come through and we kind of probably all vying for that bench spot, kind of to try and get in the 13. And at the time, you don't probably realise the, the, how talented the players were in front of us. Um, because when you're young, you just want everything now, don't you? And uh, when you look back at that team, it's full of international players, and uh, like the Anderson brothers, Benny Westwood, and players like that. And at the time, I just wanted to be in that team and kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be better than you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny looking back. But I feel like I say, if in, in all, they had a good camaraderie, everyone kind of looked after each other. And uh, we probably had a good basis of hard work before Tony got here. And then some of that uh, yeah, uh, kind of ethics that Tony had in terms of being good people kind of rubbed on, 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 on the squad. The, Gosh, yeah, sorry. So you, you mentioned briefly debut. Then do, do you do you remember your debut? Do you remember being told that you're about to make your debut? Do you remember the feeling? And yeah, I do. Uh, funnily enough, uh, what had happened was Jimmy Lowe's was the head coach at the start of the season and played a couple of first team, like the warm up matches, um, but weren't they, they didn't win a game in the first five. And uh, I remember him saying to me, "Oh, you probably would have played." Like would have fed you in if we'd have picked up a win or two, and so I was kind of a bit frustrated by that. And then I was still at university, kind of finishing my degree, 
and then I'd finished my degree, graduated, but then I had a knee injury, so I had to have a knee clear out. So as I was getting back fit from that, I'd, I'd already kind of started training full time um, whilst Tony had come in. And then I think it was, say, two weeks after my knee operation, I was my first say, session back was the Tuesday and, and he asked, was I fit? And I said, well, I'm feeling good, but I'm not really fit. And he said, well, I'll get your head around playing on Friday night. And obviously a few lads were kind of wrapping themselves in cotton wool because they knew they were playing in the final two weeks after. So um, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Like, So, um, yeah, no one's going to turn down the debut. But I remember kind of just thinking, being more not, not, not so much nervous about the game, but just being nervous about how I was going to present myself having not done any conditioning, no no running for at least three or four weeks. And then after you spell with well, first of all, you, you went on to win challenge cups with Warrington. I know you mentioned the, the, the final a couple of times then. That must have yeah. been so special to to get your your, your hand on the first piece of major silverware with your hometown club. It just must have been an overriding feeling. Yeah, it's um when people say, like I think I've probably said it too about dreams coming true. I'll be honest, that was never my dream. Like I think my dream was just to go and play for Warrington, um, and then that to happen so quickly. Yeah, it was just kind of a bit of a whirlwind, and um, I think really appreciated going back in 2012 because I could appreciate what I'd actually achieved so quickly, and um, and it did give me that hunger to go back and I want to win stuff. Don't get me wrong about that, but. Yeah, it was uh, very special when you look at, I think it was 35 years for the club and all that kind of things. And to be part of that that, that group of people that does that, then, yeah, it's, it's quite special um, and something that I'm really proud of, of doing. And But, yeah, at the same time, I was always aware of why I got opportunity over people that probably were more deserving, missed out. And, um, and I've been in that situation since. So, yeah, it's kind of... Um, but yeah, I think reflecting, it, it was kind of just a bit of a whirlwind experience and a bit of mayhem. I kind of just was happy to be part of the, the club going down and, and all of a sudden getting told you playing. But yeah, it was a bit crazy. And then in 2014, you, well, in the 2013 season, you left Warrington and then in you, you went over to Australia in 2014 with Northern Pride. Yeah. Queensland went on to, to win the Cup that year. Just how significant was that season for you in your career at that moment in time? Because it's 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 one thing leaving your hometown club Warrington uh, and going to another club, but going to the other side of the world, it's it's different altogether, isn't it? Yeah, I, pr- I probably fulfilled a couple of things that I've always kind of had in my mind about travelling and, and stuff, but. Um, I think after 2012, I kind of thought I'd, I'd made a state for the claim, kind of speaking to a club about signing a long-term deal with them. In 2013, it kind of like felt like I had to I reset again. And I just didn't, oh, I was about 24 at the time, and I kind of thought, well, it feels like I'm going around in circles a little bit. Um, so in essence, I kind of thought I had to leave the club. I spoke to a couple of Super League clubs. Uh, I think OKR was one of them. But in my head, it was like, it didn't really make sense to kind of move from Warrington to another club where I might be in a similar position, whereas obviously Warrington's a time club, one of the top clubs that kind of thinking. And then the opportunity presented itself to go and play in the Q Cup. Um, and to be fair, it was probably what I needed. It allowed me to grow off the pitch. On, on the pitch, it was the first time kind of lived up by myself and my partner and um, but we got an unbelievable experience. Got to travel around all all of Queensland with, with that and with my job. I was they were part time and I worked with them out of there. They had an education program going into schools and um, got to fly up to Thursday Island, Torres Strait Islands. Got to see parts of the world that I never imagined of seeing. And yeah, and that kind of ticked off a bit of a, a bucket list, like you say. Is obviously we we your rugby career, you kind of. There's only probably three places you can play the game professionally, and uh, that kind of was a combination of both. But what it did is it, it kind of inspired me to want to go back to full time. Um, I mean, being part of a good team there, as you mentioned, we managed to pick up our three trophies that year. And it was just an unbelievable experience. I love, I love rugby that year. 
Um, I think it showed in the way that I was playing and off the back of that I had some conversations over there with clubs but Hulky are come in with an offer that I thought what was worthwhile and kind of suited where I wanted to be at. Good stuff. And then you, you moved to OKR in 2015. They reached the Challenge Cup final uh, that season. You, you mentioned that you, you were talking to OKR before you moved to Australia. Did you did you feel like you owed OKR anything? Or, or was that the, your, your first port of call when, when coming back to England? Um, to be fair, it was probably... Not that I owed him anything, I think. Um, always, I don't know why, but there was always an attraction to look at. I think the way that like the family feel to the club whenever we've been. Like my brother played between me and we've always had a, a warm welcome in there. Um, but it's, I think feeling valued and wanted was a big thing. And obviously they kind of pursued the that interest. Uh, Chris Chester kind of once I spoke to him and then they made a decent offer. And, and as I mentioned prior, it was about me having wanted to go back to that full time and just kind of go. Actually, no, that's that's what I am. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm good enough to be that kind of player. Um, so yeah, it kind of fitted what I wanted to achieve and and the club they were undergoing. I think they did sign the 17 new players that year. I'm pretty sure it was a big turnaround of players, and they wanted to kind of change where they were going, and it kind of fitted with where I was in my career with what they wanted to do. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. And, and how does that season reflect in your career? Because that, that was the first time you really stepped up, wasn't it, to, to be a senior player and, and probably become a solidified Super League player as well? Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's something that I went, in my mindset was there. I wasn't going there to make, make new mates. I was going there to do a job and, and off the back of it, ended up having a real close relationship with players. But, I think I wanted to go there, cement myself as a starting 13 player, um, take on a leadership role if it presented, but just work hard and, and make that my priority. I wanted to make sure that I, I was known as a Super League player, not a, a fringe Super League player, as you're saying. Um, and I feel like I, I managed to do that. I feel like I had a real good pre-season. And, um, and looking at the age, probably the age played a part in, Obviously, being later in the year, got given the captaincy when Campo come down. But I like think I made the right impressions from 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 the off. Definitely. And then in 2016, you you jetted off back to Australia, yeah. down with St George of the Water Dragons, uh, signing with an NRL club. You must have been over the moon with with that at the time. Yeah, St George was a funny one really because the year prior there was murmurings, but like any any job that like, it kind of trickles down. So. And whole KR coming with their offer, St. George we were knocking around. And, but it would have meant I'd have to wait till they're pretty much near the end of the season, whereas I wanted a bit of security. Um, I had a clause in the contract with whole KR that if an NRL club come in, that I could be released. Um, yeah, and kind of a bit, bit, bit weird how it all kind of happened because it was literally the day before the, the clause ran out that they got in touch. So it's like they knew about the, the date, but I don't know how they would have known. And then I told Hulkar that had been approached and they were considering offering me a long-term, like, four-year deal to stay there. And in my head, I was, I was more than happy to stay at Hulkar, to be honest. And then kind of had some conversations with my missus and then she kind of, kind of said about what we'd spoke to about the year before about playing NRL and, like, maybe the only opportunity in, probably was right and I thought well yeah if I want to go and test myself to kind of be the best player I could be then the NRL is the best place to go and do that and yeah kind of signed with with St. George and, and there's parts of me that I feel like are that out like we said about the right thing would have been to stay for old care but um, it's a short career and I think I had to go and make the most of that opportunity definitely and we we always see players go over that. Well, it's it's more regular that the English, mm-hmm. well, British-born players go over there now um, and and test themselves in the NRL. But there wasn't as many players going over uh, at that no. time that, that you went over. Uh, how does it differ? Like, is is the NRL yeah. like like it's perceived sort of thing where it's it's far superior to the Super League uh, structure, or or is there, there not much in it? 
Um, in terms of the actual competition, it's I would say it, it probably is superior now. I think there's been a bit of a, I wouldn't say a decline in Super League, but I don't think Super League's probably progressed as, as how, how the NRL has progressed over the last 10, 15 years. And uh, from, from my perspective, even going to Northern Pride, like I think you could see the competitive around training. I think that's the big thing. And I think that comes with participation numbers, more players, because more competition for places increases standards. But um, and I think that's the big thing is that when you when when you was even in the Northern Pride environment, you were competing at training all the time, whether it's weights and because someone you're after the same outcome pretty much, and, and that was evident at St George. And I think I spoke about it quite a lot recently. Is that we watched into the gym, you had eighteen year olds all lifting ridiculous weights and all athletes, and some of these lads are now we like they were playing regularly in, in the NRL and. Um, so I would say that there is a, a definite increase in kind of how good you've got to be on a daily basis. Um, does the competition actually help with that in terms of the protocols that they've put in place in terms of quality? I think it does it pretty much. No team has more than two six-day turnarounds within the season and that helps with the standards of training throughout the year. And, uh, we ask, and Super League's just kind of a different kind of competition in a way it's got different demands and, and testing in different ways and I think you see that with Aussie lads that come over here that struggle because they're not used to that kind of the different challenges that it presents and I think having the baseline of, of being it from the UK game and I think that helps when you go over if, if you've got that kind of mindset to work out and you think well I could be doing up down Malcolm's in the in the snow back home or I'm running next to a beach in, in 30 degree. It kind of seemed quite easy compared. Um, but yeah, it was a it was definitely a challenge. I feel like it was something I'd grown a lot out and, and, and learned in terms of about myself where I should have probably pushed myself forward a bit more rather than kind of waiting for the coaches to make some decisions. But I guess that's that's the game. Yeah. You returned to, to Super League in 2017 with Salford. Then you went on to to, to have four seasons with the Red Devils. Mm. It was a, it was a great time for the club, wasn't it? And you, uh, and I guess you being there for four years, you kind of sit, you saw the turnaround. You saw the club recruit the likes of Jackson Hastings and Joey mm-hmm. Lipstick, and they went from the turnaround of being in the Middle Eight to then reaching the Super League Grand Final and reaching the Challenge Cup Final. It, it must have been yeah. quite a special time for the club. Yeah, well, I think well, when I first signed, obviously what I got in touch and yeah, you know, pretty much for his drive and ambition, pretty much sold me that was the club that I wanted to go to. Uh, um, and as you say, but I signed and then Marwan pulled out in terms of financing the club, and it was a bit of a rocky start. So I kind of thought, oh, I've got the next three or four years planned out in my head and, and what I want to achieve, but is it going to be approachable? And it was a pretty tough year that twenty. Um, 18 year um, picked up an injury myself early on uh, with bad, a bit of a neck injury and I probably didn't hit any form that I wanted to hit that year and I think showed the year after I was on on, the, on a bit of the out of the team but then yeah it was kind of steady growth within within that from from the my my perspective and the team we've, like I said we were kind of that year battle. At the end of the 2017, kind of battling and, like you mentioned, two Aussie lads come over and made a difference in terms of media impact to the team and and keeping retaining them two for the year after was probably important in terms of our growth and then we kind of kicked on. Um, we struggled at the start of the year to pick up a couple of wins, but we were always in games when you did. I never felt like we weren't ever going to be good enough. We're, if we lost a game, we'd lose it by four. But if we won a game, we were winning by a good margin. And um, so we had confidence there throughout. I think what we did have, we had a real strong core in that team of, of work ethic and um, and standards. And I think that kind of come to fruition throughout that back end of the season when we did have a bit more quality too. Mm. You, you mentioned. Ian Watson, though, you, you've worked under many great coaches as well. 
Which would you say has had the biggest influence on you personally for, for your development? I know you work with Tony Smith at Warrington. Yeah. There's been plenty of great ones. Yeah, I think Tony and my overall development as a rugby league player has probably been the most. Um, but I'd say Jason Dimitri, I've, I've seen how to relate with players and, and finding that comfortability and, um, and and kind of making it sure that everyone feels valued and um, was someone to learn a lot of. Well, as you say, we're always... Um, very thorough. I don't know if you might call him a rugby geek, but he is. He, he, he like he, he loves rugby. He just talks about rugby no, no matter what. And I think that's. But he studies the game so much. Whenever you go in, he's always watching video, watching training video. And um, but I think if you want to be successful as a coach, that's how you've got to be. And 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 his standards. He wants to win. I think there's a few times. I can remember one blow up he had at London away when we got beat and. But there, the kind of how passionate he is, is about winning, and he would he, he would happy kind of put relationships to the side if it meant that he was going to win a game. And I think that's a good mindset to have as a coach. I think, if, especially in that environment, obviously the environment I'm in now is more about development of these players. But in terms of the top performance environment, we've got, you've got to have that kind of attitude and what has got an abundance of that. And I think it's um, I think it shows in his character too. Oh, definitely. And then in 2021, well, you didn't know it at the time, but the final year of, of your career, yeah. you signed for Lee. You, you obviously, injuries struggled to uh, your game time at the Centurions and unfortunately yeah. you suffered relegation uh, back to Super League. Just give us your, your thoughts on your on your time at the club in, in that season. Yeah, I think the attraction to go into Lee was a bit of something that was similar to Salford at the time, right? Obviously, I think Salford were a few years ahead of where Lee were at, but um, kind of trying to be something part of that could have a difference in and have a more long-term view. Unfortunately, that uh, for one reason or another, things did kind of play out. Uh, they suffered a bad concussion and obviously uh, and suffering from a bit of double vision still from that, and that's pretty much why I've called time on my career and. But that, yeah, stopped the influence I could have on the pitch. Um, tried to do my best at, off the pitch um, w within the group. But it was a massive learning curve for me in terms of uh, attitudes of different players and, and kind of getting that balance right for, from a coaching kind of perspective and um, an appreciation of what worked with prior without being disrespectful to players at, at Lee. But it was a, definitely a challenging year and, uh, for everyone involved, but um, yeah, unfortunately, it was kind of. I think it showed on, on the table and in our performances that we just weren't quite good enough. Like in terms of, we'd have a real good first half and then come back it up in the second half, and that was probably the case more more time than other. And um, but yeah, unfortunately, that was the last years due due to injury and didn't give it. Wasn't be able to display what I thought I, I, I could display, but um, that's the thing that I left the club with, giving him 100% with everything that I did there. Yeah, good stuff. And you just mentioned on your concussion, though, it was it was a tackle with Sitalecki, Akawola, yeah. at one. Yeah. It must it must have been quite scary for you at the time in the in the time afterwards if you if you're still suffering from obviously double vision and, and concussion. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think. Obviously, with all the the new uh, research coming out around the footballers, and, um, and but my immediate thing was getting my vision right. Obviously, what I, the aim was to kind of get to the World Cup and playing that, but um, I started so I went to see brain specialists, um, kind of give him where I was at. And normally, when I've had any contacts, a couple of days, and I've been fine. Well, it kind of kind of lingered, and then after about I think six weeks, went to see an eye specialist, found out I'd actually had a fractured eye socket too. So then I thought, well, I was, that was a bit of relief because um, I kind of thought, oh, well, this must be where my vision's a bit poor. But um, going back into seeing him, started up with my training, but then as the training engaged, I started getting more headaches and, and uh, my vision was starting to go off as the, uh, as the training intensified, which 
kind of was just a few for me were probably a few warning signs that oh maybe this is not a good idea and until we get to know what what the actual issue is and still kind of uh, around that still suffering with a double vision uh, but now I'm not training as hard well not done any training since really um, and then trying to get to the bottom of that but yeah like like saying terms of being quite scary is, is that not knowing is but once I suppose that's why I made the decision not to carry on is kind of take, take not rather than wait for the decision kind of go and attack the next phase of my career and um, rather than wait for some answers that might not ever come. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of a bit of a downer to end, end your career with, but obviously I'm really grateful for the the journey that I've had and and the opportunities that I've presented, and and thankfully that it's leaded me into the role that I'm in now. And um, but yeah, it's um, I think it's a massive area for the game to kind of consider, and I think the game is kind of address some of that. Um, I think I've read some new stuff come out in the last couple of days, but yes, yeah, it's, it's scary too. Like you say, it's um, hopefully that there's, there's things in place that we can uh, we can learn from from it too. Yeah, the RFL are putting a lot, a lot of research into into concussion. Uh, they announced a new project uh, last week. Um, it must have been a little bit of a, a seven all. To, to end your career, I know it's been a very successful year. Yeah. Uh, you, you made more than 250 appearances. You, you played for Ireland at two World Cups. It must have been gutsy not to get that third World Cup in uh, with Ireland. Yeah, definitely. I think that was like, fairy tales. You always want to end on a fairy tale. And for me, that would have been a bit of the fairy tale and ended playing for Ireland. Uh, but um, sometimes it's, you've just got to be realistic and kind of go, actually, this is what's right. This is what's best for having you. And at the end of the day, when I look back on my career, I, won't, I probably won't look, look back on, the, on, the, on that moment. I'll be looking back on all the, all the good memories. And um, yeah, it's not how, how anyone would want wants to end. But like I say, I, I try to be quite positive in the way I think. So try and try not try and brush it under the carpet a little bit. <laughs> but um, no, I. I Big thing for me is making sure that my health is okay. I've got a young family, and that's the most important thing. Me, and then off the off the back of that is uh, of the opportunities that come off the back of what what we're doing now. And um, but yeah, it's, it's sad for anyone if that's the way their career ends. But um, no, I, I've got no regrets. If you ask me again to do what I did, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything probably. Good to hear. And just on Ireland, you, you're very, very proud and, you, and you've always spoken uh, about your pride of, of representing your, your Irish heritage. Um, what, what are your best memories of playing for Ireland? Is it your debut in Tullamore in 2009, I think it was, or, yeah. or is it in the World Cup? I think I think debut is pretty special because I think my um, granddad comes to that game and um, he doesn't come to many of, of the games, to be honest. I don't think he's ever been to the finals and stuff, but he was there, and, and and I think seeing him, my dad, and my brother there, and until more, it's kind of it does stick with me. And, but playing in them big big games in the World Cups, uh, they're just that. I think when you you sing in the national anthem, you you there's a different reason why you're playing when you're playing that for the international team, and I think there's no money. Well, you don't get paid anything anyway, but like it doesn't matter how much you get paid. And, because you just do it for a different reason, intrinsic reason, and um, yeah, it's just kind of really special moments every time. But yeah, that 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 um, the Fiji game, even though we didn't win, getting over score my first try for him too. That that was kind of special in terms of it's like different moments in time with all the fans. But you can find your family in different things, and I think seeing them being proud of that, and then. Um, yeah, just the way it's took me, I've represented Ireland since 2006, I think, with the student teams. And it's just always been been great memories throughout the, the career. And some of the people that I've got to play alongside that since I've retired have kind of just brought back memories of, of what, what we've done throughout throughout them times. Is, is It's probably hard just to pick one out, to be honest. 
Oh, good stuff. Good, good to hear. Uh, we'll go on to the next segment now, which is a quick fire round. Uh, Josh yeah. has got, got 10 questions for you, Tyrone. And right. say whatever comes into your head uh, first. Yeah, just 10 questions. Well, first of all, I'll ask you, you must be the expert in moving. I mean, you're, you're in Warrington and then you're, you're moving over to Cleveland yeah. and then you're back, you relocate to Hull and then you're back to St. George. I mean, you and your yeah. missus, you must be sick of moving. Yeah, well, you know what? We've kind of, like, after the second time of clearing everything out, it's quite rough, like cleansing because you've got to get rid of everything, <laughs> especially when you're moving <laughs> the other side of the world. So you actually realise how much rubbish you, you collect over a couple of years or a year. It's mad. Um, but no, it's, yeah, it is a, it is kind of, we've enjoyed being settled for it that way. It's, yeah. it's been nice having that bit of time and not having to think about uprooting and moving on again. Yeah, bet, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so just a 10 quick fire question, so whatever comes to mind. Uh, so we'll start with the first one, favourite film? Favourite film? Uh, I don't know, Braveheart's just come to my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, three items you can take to a desert island. We'll rule out family here because that's the easy one yeah. to go to, isn't it? Um, at the moment, it'd have to be a coffee machine and then coffee beans and then a cup. It's <laughs> <laughs> surviving off coffee years on a, on a desert island. Uh, last meal on a oh, Mexican uh, theaters, yeah, Good enchiladas, yeah. Yeah, that's a good shout. Most most annoying teammate. Most annoying teammate. Oh, I probably have to go. I go a good annoying teammate, Joey Lusick. Is a is if you if you're not ready for him, you'll find him annoying. But on a, if you are if you're in a good mood, he's he's great to be around. Yeah, is he full of energy? Is he? Yeah. 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 Uh, best rugby league memory. <sighs> that's too hard to pick one. <laughs> Uh, probably scoring at Wembley. Yeah, so that, that'd be a good shout, good one to have. Uh, best player you've played alongside? Benji Marshall. Oof. Yes. Uh, Favourite musician slash artist, singer? Sam Fender, the minute. Oh, at the minute, yeah, he's, he's big at the minute. Uh, Favourite ground you've ever played at? Um, Old Trafford. Most embarrassing moment on a rugby pitch? Getting knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and do you have any sort? Of, did you have any sort of game day rituals? Or anything you had to do every morning? Uh, just breakfast, poached eggs on toast. Every time. Every time. Yeah, yeah, perfect. They're, they're the ten quick fire questions. Sorry for not being so too quick. <laughs> <laughs> just ten so questions. We'll, call it. Um, we'll we'll just head into what you're doing now. Um, yeah. So, well, you was appoint, appointed a coaching consultant at uh, your old amateur club, Wollstone Rovers, before. Yeah. You was um, appointed at Warrington. Just on Wollstone, it must be quite special for you to to kind of give back to where it all started. Yeah, that's that's the aim of the the role is obviously. Um, go back there and in terms of the role is go looking at the first team environment uh, and just kind of overseeing things give them a bit of pointers of how we can maybe do things a little bit better and kind of they've got a, a good stable coaching set up there now and if they can add anything to it then I feel like I give some, like you mentioned they're giving something back to the club that where the journey started all them years ago where Hopefully throughout the year, I can get more involved with doing some stuff with the juniors too. But yeah, primarily it's just been kind of going in a couple, couple of times over pre-season, just make, overseeing what they're doing and giving them any pointers of how they can improve. And um, But I have to say, I've been very, really impressed with, with what they've been doing down there, to be honest. You've got a very good setup at Wollstone and you've returned to, to Warrington. So you, your career has kind of come full full circle, hasn't it? Um, with going back to Wollstone and Warrington. Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the Wolves. Yeah, so the Wolves approached me, uh, I think, around when uh, I announced my retirement about coming in and kind of wanting someone from local kind of to inspire the kids who were coming through. And obviously, we touched on before, been through that same path and journey and kind of use my experience to kind of hopefully help him and aid him, but maybe inspire a couple of lads to, um, 
yeah, but I really enjoyed it. Obviously, Paul Anderson's the head coach of the academy. Uh, he's, he's actually moved on to the RFL now. So we're kind of in a bit of a transition period to decide what, what's going to go on in, in terms of whether we bring someone else in or whether maybe I step up, well, whatever role with it, it fits in with everyone's kind of agendas. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. The boys, really talented bunch of lads, young set of lads there. Um, and then I, I'm leading on overseeing the under 15, 16 scholarship programme. So they train twice a week. Um, but these lads have missed out on a lot of rugby over the last two years. So it's kind of just making sure, trying to get them up to speed with, with everything we can in terms of the rugby that they've, they've missed out on. This week's Random Rugby League item with James Gordon. Right, each week on the Love Rugby League podcast, we're going to have a Random Rugby League feature. I'm going to pick out an object, a Random Rugby League object, to have a chat about for 60 seconds or so. If you want to send anything in, we'll put our details in the post and... And we can send it you back and whatnot. If you've been following me on Twitter, you'll have seen a discussion about this. The 1997 Super League sticker album. It was a little bit of a... Uh, I found something in my dad's loft. It was a Super League annual. And someone told me about the sticker album. I've never actually seen one of these before. Got it from eBay. There's an advert Super League milk on the back. If anybody ever had some Super League milk. Um, but I've made it my mission, bizarrely or not, to try and complete this book. So I've been getting some stickers off eBay. Um... I just thought I'd show a few. Robbie Paul, who's probably the first person I've ever met in real life and then had a sticker off. Um, there's some beauties in here, to be fair. Um, Steve McNamara is another one. There was that dodgy wigging kit from 97 as well. Dodgy wigging kit there. Um, but yeah, if anyone's got a 1997 annual complete, let me know. But I'm, Or if you've got any swaps, ideally, because there's loads here. Team photos, players, Matt Crowley there. That was a good pickup. Mark Aston is there as well. Uh, but yeah, isn't it a shame that they don't do this anymore? I think in the, there was a talk on Halifax did a, an ultimate team cards thing last week on social media. It is a shame that perhaps that's why play, people don't know where the players are because they've not done stuff like this over the years. That's Random Rugby League for this week. Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com. Thanks to Tyrone McCarthy for his time on this first episode of the podcast in 2022 please do leave your comments and likes drop us a message on facebook or twitter let us know what you want to hear from the podcast we've got plenty of guests lined up throughout the year but if there's anyone uh, you want to hear from particularly or if you're a rugby league celebrity listening and you want to come on the podcast uh, do get in touch uh, we're always open to new ideas and feedback on loverugbyleague.com as well so let us know the podcast will be out every wednesday so we'll see you again next week Thanks for listening to the Love Rugby League podcast. Know someone who shares our collective love for Rugby League? Let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Eager for more Rugby League news? Visit loverugbyleague.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.